From the greater Boston area, you are listening to the My Turn Conversations, brought to you by Tufts Education Reentry Network. These are stories of life during and after incarceration told by people who've lived it and are working to overcome the odds. My name is Hector Bannister. I'm 34 years old. I have three children of my own, two boys and a girl. My oldest son is 13. My youngest son is soon to be four, and my daughter's about 16 months. I've been in and out of the justice system basically my whole life, since a teen and still now. I was given eight years and six months in a federal prison for 3.5 grams of crack cocaine, which if anybody knows, is a very small amount, with six years probation. And I violated my probation recently and just came home again January 11th. And I also have state probation violation. And I'm being violated for the same violation for the state that I was for the feds. And they're trying to get another year out of me for the same charge, which makes no sense to me because they both agreed to run it concurrent. But because the federal system never brought me to the state court, now it's basically my fault. And... I have to do another year on top of the year I just did. And I'm just hoping that it doesn't end up that way because my two boys are coming back from North Carolina and they've been there since 2018. So I haven't really had much time with them. And they come back May 2nd. I have court for this final surrendering May 12th. And I just pray that it all goes right. But reality tells me it won't because every time I go to the courts, the only option I ever have is prison. So I'm hoping May 12th. I'll be given another chance or option. How's everybody doing today? My name is Bobby Agavello. I'm the Director of Community Outreach for Transformational Prison Project, which is a restorative justice organization. And I'm also formerly incarcerated. I served over 12 years in a state facility, but I also been trapped inside the system ever since I was in the seventh grade. And now today, I'm out here trying to break down those systems so the next young person or person doesn't get trapped in the same place that I was. Hello, my name is Marty. I'm currently a student in the My Turn program, the group responsible for this podcast. On December 1st, 2021, I was released from prison after serving nearly 17 years. In this episode, we're discussing the unique as well as the universal experiences individuals find themselves in when becoming involved with the criminal justice system. We discuss, among other things, the importance of the individual voice, and voice being the most important asset in ensuring autonomy. Unfortunately, it isn't until we're sitting in a courtroom that we truly learn the significance of our voices. I feel it when I walk right into the courtroom because it's like I know the minute I walk in there I can't say nothing when I'm in a bullpen and I see my lawyer I can talk as long as I want but it's like when I walk up there it's just like I know I have to be quiet follow the instructions and just hope that my lawyer gets everything that I said down to the T most of the time no all the time I never do it's always a mix up somewhere and it's like they don't say it with the same passion that I would say it with so it bothers me because it's like, you know when you watch TV and you got like Judge Judy, for instance, 
you got this side telling their story and that side. It's like, I would love to have one of those scenarios because it's like, for me, it's like, I feel like you can get my point of view more if you understand what it is I'm saying and the way I'm saying it. Instead of just like when your lawyer goes and he's just like nonchalant with it. You know, he's just like, yeah, Mr. Bannister, uh, he has a kid and uh, he works too, Your Honor. So uh, it's just like, where's your fire? I mean, like you're not putting nothing under that judge to make him feel what it is that I'm really going through in my mind, you know? So that's when I feel like I feel it. And the lawyers too, they're, they're um, overworking underpaid. The majority yeah. of them, they have so many clients, so they have to juggle a hundred different things. So that's another reason why a voice doesn't get heard. You know, they're doing so many things. And I think um, it is strange when you step into a courtroom and you can't say anything when you're supposed to be like proven innocent to proven guilty, correct? And um, yeah, it's just it's just strange. I feel like it's like right when you even get arrested, because like as soon as you get arrested, they're fingerprinting you, they're putting you in a cell. You're not doing, you know, you're not even, you can't do nothing. And then you're advised to not say anything. Even sometimes people do, because most majority of people don't even know their rights. You know what I mean? To to stay quiet. And I think um, and the whole time, and especially if you don't have bail or you don't have the money for bail, if they set a high bail. You're sitting in there or not. I just wanted to add that when you're speaking about our voice, I think something that's not taken into account is life before showing up in that courtroom. Your economic status has a lot to do with um, how, how you're raised, what your beliefs are, your social norms, and... Um, you don't really think about your voice until you're in the position where you need to speak up and then you're sort of stripped of, of um, the ability to speak for yourself like Hector was saying you, you don't because of the environment that a lot of us grew up in you don't really think of um, consequences until it's too late. You know, law, law enforcement is a big part of civil society. And I think we're undereducated in school about how the system works. Uh, and then when you're thrown into it, you're sort of fighting an uphill battle because the, the, the um, vocabulary, the, the world of the courts is just a world of its own. And um, you're not you're not prepared when you enter that world. And I think the sad thing about it too is that like you have the right to remain silent, and then if when you use that and say you don't want to say anything, you look at it as you're guilty. Like you're treated as you're guilty, or that you have something to hide, or you have something to do with something that's wrong, and it's just backwards. It's just. It's just the whole court system is weird because it's just like, even when like you go, like let's say you've been in court for a while fighting your case and they do like a motion to suppress and all that. And it's like, they'll bring in every witness they got to speak against you, like the police officer, whatever witnesses was there, a specialist. But the one person who never gets to say anything is you. So it's like you're sitting there listening to everybody else's story about what they seen that day or what they heard that day. 
And it's like not once are you asked to get up on there. The only time you can get up on there really is when you go to trial. But it's like, it could be even critical moments like then and there when you have your emotions suppressed that if you speak, the judge might get a better perspective of what really happened from your word of mouth and actually be on your side and throw the case out right then and there because that's an opportunity to get your case thrown out. But because everyone else who's coming in, majority of the time is against you, it's hard for the judge to see your side when everyone else is already painting an image against you or the picture of what you've done that day and why. And he's just like, you have to sit there. You can't like even react. You can't have an outburst because if you do, they take you out or they'll even give you a 30-day sentence for that, you know? And it won't even count towards the charge that you're facing now. So it's just like, you're just really like crippled while you're in the courtroom. And you have to just listen to everybody. <clears throat> and it's just like, you can sit there and whisper to your lawyer a thousand times like, this, that, and the third, and no matter what, like I said, they never get it right. They'll never get it right. Because like he said, they're overworked, overpaid, so many caseloads, and they've been doing it for so long, it's like repetitive, so they get tired of it. You know what I mean? So it's not like, at the end of the day, if they lose, they lose with you. They still get to go home, eat, do what they want to do, go shopping and celebrate. They still get a nice fat check at the end of that case. You know what I mean? Me, it's like, I got one or two options. Either I'm going home, or I'm going to jail. And the last place I want to go is jail. You know, so it's like, it bothers you so much when you can't speak in that courtroom because you know what's at stake. No one really knows what's at stake <clears throat> as much as you do because it's your life that's on the line. So that's just one thing I hate. I hate the courts, period, but that's like one of the main things I hate because I feel like I'm very good at explaining myself and how I feel and what it is that I've been through and going through and why things happen the way they do. So the fact that it's taken away from me, I feel like, you know, it's like I'm crippled, like somebody's just holding me down and, Spoon feeding me, forced me to just take what everybody's saying and just accept, accept it for what it is, which to me is it isn't fair at all. You know they say there's three sides to every story, minds, theirs, and the truth. But it's like in court, it's only theirs. <laughs> That's really it, you know. So, yeah, because it's a game, you know. Um, it's not about who's right or wrong or what the story really is. It's about the district attorney trying to win and your lawyer trying to win you know and there's supposed to be a judge in the middle of it to judge it and he's supposed to have all the power but at the end of the day the prosecutor has all the power because they're giving out the sentencing they're they're saying what's right and what's wrong in the courtroom um and so even if like i even know what knew what to say because like what he was saying earlier, I don't, I didn't understand what they were saying in the courts, like their, their terminology, their language, like people go to school for that and get degrees to understand that language, that terminology, the system. So I don't even know half the time what they were saying. But then when I did realize it, I realized no matter what really happened, it doesn't matter what happened in the sense of the courts, because they just want a guilty and your lawyer wants a not guilty. And that's all that matters. So I can get up there and I can say the truth. I can tell you my side of the story, but the DA's going to get up there and he's going to manipulate you and use the words because they're good at what they do. That's why they get paid the money that they're paid. And especially if it's a serious crime, you're going to have the best district attorneys or, or assistant district attorneys from all over Suffolk County or Suffolk County you're from. And they know how to trip you up and make you say things that you don't even, that isn't even true. Same thing with the police. Like when they do interrogate witnesses, they're going to kind of like we were talking about earlier, they're going to say certain things to make you say things that they want you to say. For instance, like even when it was involved in my my crime, like I 
don't get me wrong, I take full responsibility for my actions, but the things that they were saying that I was doing wasn't true. And they used witnesses that basically lied to get immunity or things off their sentence. And how they would do that is, all right, you gotta say you get, so one person, for instance, got caught with an AK-47, so he got picked up by the feds. And instead of um, him doing time, they said testify against me and they'll wipe that away, basically. So what they were doing is they sat down with him and it was like, oh, you sold um, Mr. Recavello guns before. He's like, yeah, yeah. And he started saying certain things that he sold me or said or claimed that he sold me. Then he's like, oh, you sure it wasn't like a black gun, like a nine millimeter? And they'll say that. And, they, and he's like, are you sure? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, it was. And now he's saying everything that the, the, the police, I mean, the district attorney, the police officer that's interrogating him wants him to say. So next time he comes into court, Instead of instead of him saying what really happened, he's like, yeah, it was a it was a, a black nine millimeter, you know, and they have all these tactics to pull things out of you. And I think I might have went a little bit off subject, but that's all part of the whole 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 system. They use certain things, they manipulate certain things. It's all broken, or in some way, it's not broken. It's working the way people want it to work, but it just doesn't. It's not right, you know. It's not about. Um, committing the crime, doing the time, paying your debt to society because it's it's it has nothing to do with that, you know. Everybody in there is supposed to be so righteous and holy and seeking justice and all that, but it's like it's like you said, it's a game. It's like a game of Monopoly. Who's gonna hit a uh, boardwalk first and get the big check? That's all it's about. Getting a big check, getting your name out there because, like you said, if it's a high case, <clears throat> you got the news in it, so you're on the you're on the news every day, front page, all that. This is how you build your, your reputation up. You know, it's like the same way how it was, the same way how they do it in the courts is the same way the streets is played. Like, the more your name is heard of, the more people speak of you, the more respected you are, the more feared you are. And it's just like in the courts. When you have a big name in there and everybody knows, oh, this DA, he's, he's the one not to play with. Nobody wants that DA. They're like, oh my God, please don't give me that DA today. Give me somebody else. Or if it's a judge who's strict and not a book, like, he don't play no games, take no shortcuts. Nobody wants him either. But it's like, if we're all playing fair and by the rules, why is it that we're all seeking something more than what's just right? We're all seeking like to become a senator or, you know, just the things that they go for, just to build their reputation up and, and, and get a fatter check and more endorsements and all that. Like, what does it matter? You didn't, you didn't, he wasn't thinking of that. I don't believe any person who became a, a DA or a lawyer was thinking like that when they decided to become it and it was going to school. It just probably happened as time went along because they seen the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, uh, the stepping stones they can get from doing certain things in life. You know what I mean? And it's like, you're playing with other people's lives by bettering yours. How is that fair to give me 10, 15 years for a crime I didn't do, or maybe it's a crime that I did do, but it's not as serious as you're making it seem, and you're just going for the max to make a name for yourself when you know you can actually be lenient on me because who knows, I could be that one person who might, this might be my one time and I might not come back. But it's like when you give someone so much time just to make your own name for yourself, you make him adapt to that lifestyle that you're putting them in. So it's just like, it doesn't bother him that much anymore. You know, like I've had CEOs tell me like, yo, you'd be so comfortable here. It's like it's like your like, like your home. I tell them all the time, like man, I've done this so long. It's just like you can't tell me that mattress on that bunk is not a tempurpedic. I go to sleep with ease, and it's sad to say, but it's the truth, you know, because I've been doing it for so long, and nobody should have to feel that way when they go into an environment like that because 
it's not humane, man. Like to be in a in a in a in a bedroom slash bathroom where another man is using it while you gotta have the curtain up, you gotta smell his feces, you gotta smell his feet, him snoring all night, you know what I mean? It's not it's not normal at all the things you gotta go through when you get incarcerated. So I feel like the games they play in court, it just isn't right. You know, it really mess it messes you up mentally a lot. So something gotta be done. And that's why I feel like honestly people should be able to speak on what it is that they been through, they're going through, and why at that time of moment, even if they did do it or they didn't, why they did it at that moment, or you know, just their truth alone, because it just puts another perspective out there. So it's all about like repairing how. So when a crime is committed, <clears throat> um, multiple people get hurt, right? And I think the system looks at it as who committed that crime? Let's punish that individual. And at the end of the day, that doesn't work because let's just say you did commit a crime, you did get a sentence. What happens to the victim or the victim's family? They don't get any closure. Just by you going away, they don't. They they won't probably want to know why. They want to know why did this happen to them? Why did this happen to their family? I think when you look at it in a restorative aspect, it's like more about repairing that home. It's more about why did that person commit that crime? You know, let's figure out what he been through or that person's situation to get him to the point why he committed it. And now let's sit him down with whoever he committed it with and repair that. Because I think for myself in general, I know that, you know, when I committed a crime, there's a reason why I did it because of my past traumas, my past hurts, things that I've been through in my life that I... I wasn't looking at things in a normal perspective because I was hurt. I was hurt. There was a lot of crimes that were committed on me before I committed it on others. Um, and I was hurting, and that's why I was hurting other people. And the only way for me to understand, for me, the only way for me to fully take accountability and understand what I did wrong was I had to do work on myself and go through my traumas, go through my issues. And it came to the point where I could be accountable and take responsibility for my actions. And that healed me. Now in the process, just say, you know, I got locked up for tickets about his life. You know what I mean? And I know that there is mothers and family members out there that want to know why that happened, right? And I think the best medicine for that is when they're ready, when that victim is ready, when that individual is ready to sit down in the space and actually have a uh, restorative dialogue, meaning actually communicate with each other. No, why did you do that? Like, what happened to you to get you to that point? Like, what really happened? You know, and I think a lot of people, even when they do commit crimes, they fully don't understand how much pain they're putting on people because they're hurting themselves and they don't get that space as well. Like, imagine if, if you committed a crime and you sat down with that victim's mother and she expressed how much she's hurting every single day. Like, obviously, that's going to hold a toll on you and make you look at things in, in a different perspective. But most people don't look at that because it's just you have no contact with the victim at all. As a matter of fact, you can get another charge if you have any contact with the victims or the victim's family. They cut that completely off in the court system. And that not only hurts the individual that committed a crime or that's on trial for committing a crime, it also hurts the, the family and the victims. You know, and I think um, 
that's why I kind of I love my work. I love restorative justice because it just it changed my whole perspective and life on things, you know. And I say that because like it took me a long time to sit in space with district attorneys and police officers and stuff. To that, it, it, I didn't like it. I sat in spaces with my enemies before I would sit in spaces with them. And um, when I did go through that, I realized that, you know, and I'm okay to say that, is that they go through their own harms themselves. That's why they act the way they they do. They are trained in a certain way to act the way that they are. Just like in some way, when I was growing up, I was trained in a certain way to act the way that I was. That's why I wasn't remorseful. That's why I didn't care. That's why I, I acted with violence. So um, I think when you get to the point where you can understand that, it makes things a little bit more like better, right? And I think so many people like push away from the restorative aspect of things because they fully don't understand it. They think it's a deterrent from prison, a deterrent from jail, that you sit in space. Instead of going to jail, you do this. No, it's about repairing harm and the community in a space in general. You know, and I think that, um, you know, the mindset, which is still around today, which is embedded in the system as well, is tough on crime. So it's like that will be easier for you to like like it's a how do I say it? Like it's a slap in the wrist in order to go through this instead of actually what doing the time, which that actually doesn't do anything. All it does is put you in prison take you away from society, take you away from your family. You're doing nothing but sitting in a cell and being exited off from family, everything. And then they want you to rehabilitate in that way. Especially when you fully don't understand like yourself, right? Especially majority of people going so young. You know, I was in the system since I was really, really young. Since I was in the seventh grade. Then I went in for, for a homicide when I was 20. I spent my whole entire 30s in there, you know, and I didn't even know who I was before when I went in there, you know, it didn't take me till way later in life to deal with my stuff when I stepped into the store space to understand who I even was as a person. So I didn't know. I blocked all that out. I can understand where he's coming from where he says, uh, like, when we're, when we're young, it's like, <clears throat> you don't react. Like, when I was growing up, I've never harmed a soul until, like, people started coming through my neighborhood and doing things to me and my guy. So it was like, I never looked at myself when I was young as like someone who was committing harm. I looked at it like I was protecting <clears throat> what was mine. You know what I mean? Like it was about like two, three times before everything started happening. Like they kept coming through and jumping my boys for no reason. Like we was all just young, you know what I mean? So after a while, I was just like, you know what? You get tired of it and you, you fight back, you strike back. So it's like when I was young, it was like, I'm sitting here with this, big old gun on my hip or a knife in my pocket or whatever it is, you know? I'm not sitting here thinking, okay, I'm committing a crime today. I'm gonna go to jail today. None of that, all I'm thinking is, if anybody comes through here to mess with me and my boys, anybody in the neighborhood, I'm gonna handle it. I'm feeling like I'm protecting them, you know? Cause when the stuff happened, the cops aren't there. By the time the cops get there, they're long gone, they got away, we're hurting, they're laughing. You know what I mean? So I'm taking it as like, okay, they keep getting over and getting over, I'm getting tired of it. So. It took for me, like you said, to go through the pain to react the way I was reacting. And I was never conscious of the fact that I was doing wrong. Like, you cannot tell me I was doing wrong. It took till I was probably about like 24 in the feds to realize that the life I was living was wrong. Like I sat there one day and was just looking at myself and I'm like, man, I can't, this is not right. Like, I, matter of fact, let me rewind. My brother used to always tell me, I used to think he was hating on me. 
show me your friends, you'll show me your future. So I used to think like he just didn't like my friends, you know? So I was like, man, you just hating on me, you know? I'm out here getting money, doing what I'm doing. But it took that day when I was looking at that cell window and it just came out of nowhere. I wasn't even thinking about my brother. The words just hit me. And I was like, dang, he's right, you know? But I don't blame my friends for that. I feel like it was more of just my environment where I grew up at and the fact that I had no one to tell me, heck, what you're doing is wrong. It'll be like, I'll get, like, even my parents, like, I'll get locked up, my mom will come bail me out, and she'll never give me a speech. I'll be, like, right back on the street corner. Like, my mom used to come from her job, because it got to a point where, it was like, I had so much money on me, the cops would take my money. And be like, if you want this money back, have your mother come to the police station so we can tell you what, she's, what you're doing. And then they'll go there, my mom will go there. <laughs> I swear to God, my mom will go there. You know, give her the whole spill. She'll act like she has no clue. and be cussing me out and all that. As soon as I leave, and as soon as we leave, she'll take the money, give me like 200 bucks, and I'm taking the rest home. So it got to the point, my mom would come home from work and grab my money from me so I don't have to keep going through it. So like, you couldn't tell me what I was doing was wrong. You know what I'm saying? It just really took me to go through all that pain and all that, like of just solitary confinement and just prison alone to realize like this life I'm living isn't what it's made up to be. You know, I had to see people get killed in jail cells and all that to be like, this isn't for me. Before I was like, like growing up, people used to glorify prison. Oh, you go to jail, you get your stripes, you put in work, da da da. So like, you grow up, you're like, I can't wait to go to jail. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not even joking. You're like, I can't wait to go to jail. They're gonna know me. You know that's how you think. And it's like, and never like the whole time I'm sitting there. I remember I did 18 months straight in the hole because I was fighting nonstop. I never made it back to population. I was fighting COs, inmates because no one sat there to take the time. And be like, banning stuff. What you're doing is wrong. Or let me ask you why you're reacting the way you're acting. Let me, let me find out how you think. No one did none of that. They were just like, okay, you did this. That was wrong. Go to the hole. You know what I mean? They're not, even if, like, there'll be times I'll get jumped. I got jumped on a unit by, like, seven people. I'm fighting my, my, my behind off. You know, I'm fighting my behind off. And it's like, I still get foul guilty in my head. I'm like, how am I wrong for getting jumped? I'm trying to defend myself. You know what I mean? But it's like, they don't care for none of that. They just want what they want. Once you already establish yourself as someone who's a troublemaker, in their eyes, because to me, I wasn't a troublemaker. Well, before I did uh, my first county bid, in my eyes, I wasn't a troublemaker. <laughs> but um, it's just like, once they already have that opinion of you, they don't care for the truth. They just, they just want you to suffer the repercussions. You know, they want to do what they feel is right. And it's like, I honestly feel like if there's people who take the time to learn individuals while they're young and why they react the way they react, then all that can be changed. Because it's like, it's crazy to me. Cause like, sometimes I think the same guys that I have issues with, we always play baseball together on a, on a minor league as kids. Like we used to get up every weekend and have competitions. And it's like, here we are now we're fighting for what? No one can actually say why, you know? And it just, it takes for you to go through things to actually think like that. So I get what he's saying where it's like, you don't understand you're wrong until you have to learn yourself, you know? And you would think like going into a courtroom, the judge or the DA of one of them would want to teach you that. You know, like they don't want to do none of that. I remember once the police came to us and asked us to have a meeting to stop the violence. And uh, instead of asking us what's the root of the problem, how to solve it, their, their resolution was, you guys stay off of Charmant at the end of Charmant and you guys stay off the beginning of Charmant and just avoid each other. That was their resolution, instead of sitting and trying to figure out why. If they could actually understand 
your side, maybe they can actually forgive you. And maybe if they could forgive you, the courts won't be so harsh on you. You know, you, you wouldn't have to do so much time because it's like, how can you all not forgive me if they can? Like what I've done to this person isn't harming you all after today. When it's all over with, y'all going to forget all about this. They're still going to live with it for the rest of their lives. And so am I. So it's like, how can you not forgive me? I, I love what he said because, you know, it's like, I say this a lot, but I did the wrong things for the right reasons growing up. In my mind, I really believe yeah. I was doing this for, like, my boys, my friends, my neighborhood, my family. I wasn't doing it because to hurt anybody. And um, and that never was my intention. That's, I think that's the intentions of majority of individuals, you know? They just have a way of expressing and showing that love. It might not be the as normal as somebody else, but... Like I said, I was doing the wrong things, but for the right reasons. Thank you for listening to the My Turn podcast. My Turn is a community-based, university-accredited program, providing education, mentorship, and career development support to and by those who have been directly impacted by the criminal justice system. My turn's objective is to provide an opportunity for each participant to rediscover and reframe their skills, interests, responsibilities, and commitments. This podcast is created and produced in partnership with Tufts University Jonathan M. Tisch College of Civic Life and the Bridging Differences Grant Program. Music brought to you by Elmo Playtest. Learn more or support my term at tuppit.org. T-U-P-I-T dot O-R-G.